The viewpoints expressed on Night Fright are not necessarily those of the host, the staff, the sponsors, or the affiliate stations. Tonight's program may contain graphic themes or images. Viewer discretion is advised. Showtime. Welcome to the show. I'm Brent Holland. Welcome one and all to Night Fright. Tonight is a good night, folks, for you to find your most comfy chair, get the coffee going, get the tea going, get a beverage of your choice going, because we got a great guest for you. The legendary Stephen Bassett is here. Stephen Bassett is a leading advocate for ending the 65-year government-imposed truth embargo. 65 years, folks regarding an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race. He is a political activist, lobbyist, commentator, the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, the Extraterrestrial Phenomena Political Action Committee, and executive producer of the X Conference. And we're going to be getting to all these things tonight too, folks, and we'll ask Stephen to explain them all. Also, the Citizen Hearing on Disclosure, and of course, the Congressional Hearing Initiative. His work has been covered extensively, extensively by national and international media. It is my great pleasure to welcome Stephen Bassett to the show for the first time and most definitely not the last. How are you, Stephen? Thank you for joining us. I'm fine, Brent. It's good to be with you. It's nice to have you. Now, I want to plug something right away. There's something exciting coming up that you're a part of, and it's called Contact in the Desert. Now, this is a conference that's going to be going on at Joshua Tree near Palm Springs, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, uh, got some great people going there. George Norrie's going there from coast to coast. Stan Friedman, I know, is going. Kathleen Martin. A lot of my friends. Jim Mars, uh, who's uh, featured in my book on the Kennedy assassination, is going. Um, and you're going. How did this come about, Stephen? Well, I spoke at in Contact in the Desert last year. Um, so they invited me back to speak. Uh, I'm going to be giving a lecture and then also a workshop, which is standard. There's also going to be a disclosure panel. Um, and most of the people on that panel are going to be um, uh, people that attended were part of the Citizen Hearing on Disclosure for National Press Club in 2013. Probably about eight people on the panel. So that's going to be heavily attended. It's going to be a big event. So. Uh, and they had, I think, way, well over a thousand people last year. They may, they may do much better than that this year. It's fantastic. Very, very substantial. I think they have 50 speakers. I mean, huge. Yeah, and they're all heavyweights. There's not uh, a filler in the bunch that I've seen, anyways. It's, fa- it's fabulous. And folks, I'll be posting more information on the www.nightfrightshow.com website 
about that as well as uh, as we get closer and closer to the dates. And I should tell you the dates. It's May 29th uh, for three days, if I'm not mistaken, right through to the beginning of June. So uh, I'll post all that information on the uh, Night Fright website. Now, you had mentioned disclosure. Can you give a little bit of a brief example, just a bit of a synopsis for the pe- people that are unaware where we were and how we've gotten to where we are today in 2015? Mm-hmm. I know it's going to take a little bit, but I, I'm boiling down. Um, extraterrestrials are engaging the planet Earth and, and have been for some time. This became uh, very prominent in uh, uh, 1947. Uh, the government was well aware of the ET presence. The government made a decision to embargo the reality of this from the American people as a national security decision. This decision was made post-World War II and early Cold War. And our allies went along with it, and the media, the press at the time, went along with it. That decision is still in place 68 years later, and we are trying to change that policy. In other words, we're trying to get the government to finally announce, would be the president that would do so that what crashed in Roswell was an alien vehicle, an extraterrestrial vehicle, that there is engagement going on, it's global, etc. But mostly that there is an engagement. There are extraterrestrials here, but not alone. There Can you no define engagement for people that are unaware? Most people think of aliens right away, they think abductions. It's not always the case. The word engagement implies all types of interactions, the presence of ETs in any way, shape, or form. If they're not here at all, if they're on another star system a thousand light years away, they're not engaging us. Right? They could engage us, I guess, through communications by sending a message to study, but oddly enough, they've chosen not to do that. Uh, so the engagement is a little bit more direct. Um, uh, the, 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 the truth embargo policy uh, was absolutely locked down during the Cold War. There was no way they were going to, uh, to change that policy and announce the EP presence with thousands of nuclear warheads on, basically. Emergency alert to go off at any time. We have a nuclear war and almost did. So the door doesn't even open until 1992. So from 1992 on, the possibility, the likelihood, and the appropriateness of uh, an announcement uh, about the ET issue uh, opens up. Now it's 22 years and it still hasn't happened. Now there are complex reasons for that, which we have a relatively good idea as to why it wasn't announced in 93, 98, or 2005, etc. But the fact is, is that the truth embargo is in its 68th year, and it is pretty much coming apart at the seams, and will end. Now, the only question whether it ends tomorrow, or a few months from now, or a year from now, or two years from now, I really don't think it can last two years, frankly. I don't think there's much chance of that at all. What are some of the complexities you come upon? Now, obviously, you've got people that are sympathetic to the cause, and perhaps there may be senators, Congress people um, that have had their own experiences. I'm sure, given the numbers in Congress, somebody has someone, uh, either in their constituency or even themselves, that may have been abducted or had some kind of engagement, as you call it, with a UFO. Now. Those are in one camp, and of course, in the other camp are the people that just don't want to be associated with disclosure for fear of ostracization. So, both camps. Both camps. Both camps are that, that uh, 
based on the, 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 the polling that's been done, mm. it's pretty safe to say that more than 50%, since it tends to go up based on income and education, maybe 65% of the members, uh, all of the staff on Capitol Hill, which is around 10,000, uh, are convinced personally that this phenomenon is real. And a certain number of them are contactees, right? The percentage I use is around 2%. That would make it about 200. But so what? They don't talk about it, particularly if you're on the Hill. You don't talk about it. Probably don't talk about it if you work in a corporation. Uh, so it's simply not acceptable under the truth embargo for them to publicly uh, or even amongst their personal close friends discuss that opinion. That opinion is kept uh, personal. And then that is the truth embargo. All right? So as far as the Hill is concerned, when I approach the Hill, uh, no one is going to demonstrate uh, much support on a personal basis, usually. Now, I will tell you, I've had some meetings already, and I've had some of that come out, but not by high-level staffers, not by the member, and certainly not by a chief of staff. Uh, so, again, the truth embargo is in place, and people are still operating under that. But it, it is obviously helpful if uh, half or more of the, the 10,000 staffers on the Hill have already personally figured out it's real, that just makes it a little bit easier. What's happened is they really haven't been approached enough. I mean, there have been efforts to get hearings. There have been efforts to, quote, uh, persuade the White House to do this or do that, and they pretty much held fast. Um, but the fact is, is that the truth embargo was still preventing the kind of uh, engagement that you would normally have on an issue of this magnitude. But that's my job is to cut through all that. And now the president, who ultimately will have to be the disclosure executive and the one that makes the announcement, is definitely taking the risk. Though the president takes the risk every single day and is attacked in every single way, so nothing new about that. But of course, for disclosure to happen, the US president's going to have to cut a deal with the Pentagon. And the Pentagon will have agreed to support the president, uh, not only in, in, in validating, of course, uh, what the president is saying, and also providing probably some evidence that will be helpful in making the point. So the president won't be totally standing alone. But if disclosure were to go really, really badly, the president is going to take the fall for that. But disclosure can't go badly. It's the most profound event in human history, and it's true. So I'm not too worried about the president's uh, long-term. Is this something that governments actually come together on? and uh, form a national security planetary operation to keep this stuff under wraps? All of the developed nations are aware of the ET threat. Okay. Uh, they have to be because they all have air forces. Yeah. And their air forces go up and chase these things around and actually film it. Gun camera footage. So they know. Um, the U.S. allies, which includes Canada, of course, made an agreement with the United States long ago that the U.S. would lead on this and that the U.S. would make the final decision as to when the world would know, assuming that the non-Western world, which includes China, uh, Soviet Union, now Russia, and to some extent India, didn't act preemptively or on their own. All right? uh, and that is still the case. Now, uh, many countries, between 12 and 15 countries, have released 
uh, a lot of files to the internet, a lot of files in the public domain, which they didn't have to do and it wasn't forced out. Canada is one of them. Now, these files are not uh, the kinds of uh, documents that would absolutely create a, a media cure, but they, they certainly have, have exposed uh, a lot of the information and evidence to a much larger audience and resulted in millions of downloads around the world. This, in fact, I believe is a, a, a way for these countries to prod the United States to finally change this policy. If the Prime Minister of Canada were to uh, go before the Canadian people and announce that the extraterrestrial presence is real, provide a bit of evidence to confirm it, the impact in the United States would be notable. Um, and, but not as bad as it could be. The situation as it stands right now is this. Uh, the Vatican is not going to make the announcement. The UN is not going to make the announcement. And it's unlikely a consortium of nations is going to make the announcement. Because in order to create that consortium and organize it, there's too much of a chance of a leak, too much of a chance that it will fail. So the US is, quote, the uh, de facto leader of the movement. And the US is supposedly going to be the country that it does it, which means that it'll start with one nation, probably the U.S., uh, very immediately, within days. Most of the nations of the world will have confirmed it. Right? Okay. So, what, 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 what's the next thing you want to say about that? Well, what if another nation does do it first? How does that affect the United States? Not good. Right? Not good. Here's why. The U.S. Uh, organized and maintained this truth embargo uh, for 68 years. A lot of things were done to do that. It does amount to a six and a half, almost seven decade lie. And there have been other consequences. It's like all policies. It has its good and it has its bad. And uh, the U.S. is going to have to be responsible for that. It's going to have to deal with the public relations problems that it will generate. It's going to have to take a lot of hits and black. But again, we'll take plenty of that. Nothing new there. But if another, and if another nation goes first, then what happens is that nation achieves the extraordinary political legacy, historical legacy of being the disclosure nation. That executive will be the disclosure executive. That person's party will be the disclosure party. And the U.S. will get none of that, none of that uh, historical legacy at all. It will just get the downside of having to explain its positions over all of these years and why it has kept the secret, why it has hidden the technology, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All, all bad, no good. But it gets worse because as of now, as of 2015, I believe that it's about 50-50 whether the U.S. would be the first nation to acknowledge the Now, what makes you say that, Stephen? Because I'm thinking this knowledge can be used as a kind of a blackmail weapon. Let's say things escalate between Putin and the White House, and all of a sudden Putin threatens to make the first disclosure and put the U.S. in that type of position that you just described. That is certainly a possibility, and so the equation would be simple. What is the benefit that they can get from a blackmail versus the benefit they could get from being the first disclosure nation? And the point I was going to make is, it's, I believe it's 50-50, and the two leading candidates uh, to preempt the United States and President Obama would be Putin and, and Xi Jinping. Mm. 
China. Now, if Putin or Xi Jinping make the uh, disclosure announcement and the huge historical legacy of being the disclosure country, disclosure executive, goes to them and not and not to us, and we have to follow Putin say within a day or two, and sheepishly acknowledge that we have to learn that too that we didn't tell you that Vladimir has. This will be a geopolitical catastrophe for the United States. Uh, it will elevate Russia or China down there in the world esteem. And uh, there will be effects, there will be consequences of this. Is play a chess game with the government in which, given the, the pieces on the board right now, we, we put the government in a position where it's checkmated. And it has only one move to make. And that, of course, is the turn that came over. But there is a new move check. Now, this chess game has been going on a long time. And for most of the last 15 to 18 years, the government's been winning. But over time, they've lost some pieces. We've gained some more pieces. Uh, the board has changed in perspective. And now we're in a position where we can, we can checkmate them. The move is being made. When the move is completed, I believe the government will be checkmated. Here's why. We shift the full 30-hour video record of the citizen hearing on disclosure and that testimony to every single congressional office. It was accompanied by a letter signed by the witnesses stating that they want hearings. They want to come to the Hill for a real hearing and testify under federal oath, which is a felony if you lie, to the same evidence that they testified at the citizen hearing. And that they want, uh, they want the, the members and their staff to review that 30-hour record and talk to me, a registered lobbyist, for this issue. There were a number of people involved in it, not only involved in or aware of it, who are fairly important, powerful people. And they are President Clinton, Secretary Hillary Clinton, Secretary Leon Panetta, Vice President Al Gore, Secretary of Energy Governor Bill Richardson, and all of these, these individuals collectively have either been president or run for president six times and about to make it seven. This initiative is a very significant event for press, of course, and the public. We knew about it because there were many researchers involved in it. They were brought to Rockefeller's ranch to discuss strategy. And then Bill and Hillary Clinton went out and met with them on this issue in 1995. More importantly, in 2000, Grant Cameron was able to obtain, very interestingly obtained, very interesting design, the a thousand pages of, of documents confirming the Rockefeller Initiative under an FYA address to the Office of Science and Technology Policy. We think it might have been an accident, but whatever, he got them. We made copies. I delivered two full sets of these documents, which confirmed the Rockefeller Initiative and the involvement of Hillary and Bill and to the USA Today and the Washington Post. They did nothing. Let me put them up on the web where they've been for the last 13 years. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. In the 22 years since Rockefeller met with John Gibbons in the White House, along with his attorney Henry Diamond and his chief aide, C.B. Scott Jones, Naval Intelligence. Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, John Podesta, 
Leanne Panetta, Bill Richardson, and Albert Gore have never said a single word about the Rockefeller Initiative, and have never been asked a single question about it in 22 years. They tried to forget it ever happened, but pretend it didn't happen, in order to avoid damaging their political and personal aspirations. The DVD discs that launched, DVD set that launched the Congressional Hearing Initiative were supposed to have been originally shipped to, to Capitol Hill on March 31st. And those DVD sets contained three hours of testimony about the Rockefeller Initiative. As it happens, President Bill Clinton scheduled himself on Jimmy Kimmel two days after those DVDs were to be shipped. He didn't know that I, I was going to cancel it. And I did. I canceled the shipment late on the 31st that night, March 31st. I put out a, 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 a notice to my people. Uh, he, 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 he'd scheduled it long before that. And he went on Jimmy Kimmel, and you can easily YouTube search Bill, Chris, uh, Bill Clinton UFO Jimmy Kimmel, find it like that. And in the third segment, out of nowhere, Jimmy Kimmel asked him about extraterrestrials. Whereupon he goes into a five-minute talk about it, talks about how he looked into it in his second term at Roswell, looked into Area 51. Not true. He didn't do that. And it wasn't his second term. It was his first term. But, and he talked about how, you know, it could be out there and how we might all get along better if, if there was a threat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That was no accident. He was inoculating himself to the fact that the Rockefeller Initiative could very well come public, finally, because of those shipments, which apparently they weren't prepared to stop. They didn't try. Now let's fast forward several months. As I told you, on February 3rd and February 8th, I submitted three fax requests to 70 offices on the Hill, and one of those fax requests included a substantial paragraph about the Rockefeller Initiative, naming names. Clinton, Clinton, Podesta, Richardson, Gore, Clinton. Two days after that fax arrived, on the day that he left his one-year stint at the White House as an advisor to President Obama, John Podesta put out what is his last tweet, as far as I know, off the chat. I didn't see anything after his last tweet, and that tweet said, "My number, my number one regret is that I did not get the UFO files released in 2014." And he copied Marine Dowd of the New York Times. Now, he must have known that was going to generate a firestorm, and hundreds of media articles were written. Hundreds of articles. Don't believe me? Google News search John Podesta. UFO, right? All over the world. Now, that is extraordinary. Let me be clear. You have the number, one of the number one advisors and members of the Democratic Brain Trust has just served a year under the President of the United States. He is just leaving that position. It's already been publicly announced in the news that he's about to go work for the Care apparent to the Democratic nomination, Hillary Clinton, remember her, as her key advisor. And on that day, he puts out a UFO tweet, right? Meaning, ah, let's have a little fun. Why not put out a tweet about, oh, I met Sasquatch the last time I was on a trip to Wyoming? Mm. Why would he do that? Here is why he did it. 
He did it to inoculate himself, just like Clinton did on April the 2nd on the Jimmy Kimmel show. He knew, and believe me, they follow everything I'm doing, he knew that a fax had just been sent to 70 offices on the Hill of five key committees in which he was hooked up once again to the Rockefeller Initiative, and that was probably going to hit the news. And so he inoculated himself by basically letting people know, you know, I tried, and later he will say how he tried back in 1993-94. That's very interesting, but because he did that tweet, several media approaches that we had made suddenly caught fire. And a day, two days later, I'm sorry, um, about two weeks later, a major article was written about the Congressional Hearing Initiative in the Roll Call newspaper on Capitol Hill, one of the top political newspapers that serves the Congress and the entire political class in Washington. And this Roll Call article, which you can easily find, right, if you go to uh, paradigmresearchgroup.org, click through the graphic to the status page, check the media, go look at that article. Huge article about the Congressional Hearing Initiative, linked to the Rockefeller Initiative. Everything was in it. It was published online, and it was in the roll call print paper that went to the Hill. The New York Magazine followed up the next day, and there's a couple more in the works. So that's how things are moving, and shortly after those two article hits, my request to meet from Capitol Hill started getting answered. And so arrived on the 20th of November, we launched on November the 5th, and the, the meetings have now started March 2, that's not bad. That's about three months. That's congratulation time for you, my friend. Nice okay. work. Now, the ETs, there is a huge connection between the ETs and nuclear weapons. No question. Uh, I believe, as, as many of my colleagues do, that the reason that you had the sighting explosion in early 47 was because of the atomic bombs in 45. And the fact that we were now in an atomic weapons development program, which is obvious. Um, not only us, but the Soviet Union. And so the consensus, I think, of the researchers today is that the explosion of sightings, which led to a lot of activity, which led to some crashes, you know, maybe got a little too crowded on the freeway, I don't know, uh, in 47, was because something changed. There was a significant change in the engagement protocol due to the fact that we had entered the atomic age. Then it was not only it was only 20 years later when we started turning our weapons off. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement, I think. Uh, and they've done it repeatedly. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they didn't help us make nuclear weapons. They've been trying to convince us to get rid of them, I suspect. Uh, so there's an interesting connection. Is there any information? You see, I've always suspected when things get pretty close, the aliens start to appear, just to keep an eye on us. You had mentioned Bob Salas before in the first hour. Robert Salas, folks, uh, his show is on our, in our archives, www.nightfrightshow.com. Uh, he was in a nuclear um, missile base, missile launching base, uh, 50 or 100 feet below the ground. Maelstrom. Maelstrom. And everything just went off, completely off. And then they had warnings, that proximity warnings, that there was people or something in the tunnels. And anyways, all that show is there. The reason why I bring this up is because, uh, you know, I had mentioned Sorensen, and he walked, walked me through the Cuban Missile Crisis. And it's always been suspectful for me to believe that perhaps there was some UFOs showing up around that time because we were so close. He told me how close we were, and it scared the uh, it scared the dung out of me because uh, I had really no idea. 
I, I, I would not be surprised. I'm pretty, I would be very, uh, uh, I, I would not be surprised if there are a number of photos in government files of ET craft um, in the Cuban area um, during that whole crisis. I'm not aware of any um, private photos that emerged. Of course, it had been kind of hard. It wasn't like there was a lot of tourists floating around down there. Yeah. Photos. But it would it would make total sense if they if they were observing that whole thing. Okay. No, I was just curious. I thought I'd throw that out to you, Stephen. When you write that we're getting closer to disclosure on ET engagement, how do you define engagement? Are ETs among us right now? Yeah, that's a big question. Yeah. Um, they are capable, I believe, of. Well, I mean, some of them, I think, are, could not be honest. They simply could not do it. Um, the Nordics clearly could do that. So more than one species. Well, there's more than one species. Oh, well, species, whatever you want to call them. There's more than one group. Uh, as the contactees have pretty much well described. In fact, they've painted them. I mean, a lot of the contactees are artists, and they've drawn them. They've painted them. They've, told us, they've shown us exactly what they look like. And you can find that on the web, too. I just don't think they're living amongst us. I think they have bases here. I think that if necessary, they could underwater you know, bases, time. underground, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but live amongst us? I don't think so. Can't rule it out, but I don't think so. Naturally, it's a, a, an issue that's most uh, intriguing to people, and, and uh, uh, the idea of it upsets a lot of people. And, and there's plenty of people on the internet that will be happy to tell you that, right? Often channeled information. But do I think the evidence is, is convincing yet that he's living amongst us on a day-to-day -day basis? No. I'm thinking a good place to observe us from might be on our own solar system. How do you feel about the possibilities, of course, of bases perhaps on the moon? You hear them all the time. And people speculate. Mars, perhaps? How do you be surprised if there wasn't? Yeah. I... No. Okay. If you're engaging the solar system. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, obviously, we, we've been the only life planet, significant life planet in the solar system for a very long time. Yes, very true. And you're going to be dealing with this planet at the level that they're dealing with us, which is pretty substantial. Hmm. Um, having a base in the solar system elsewhere would be very convenient. Uh, backside of the moon, no-brainer. Uh, Mars as well. Uh, or just in general, uh, given the fact that we've got who knows how many interstellar species out there? We, you know, there's a certain number working with us, but that, that's not all. Mm. There's plenty of them. And so the idea that we haven't had a lot of travel through the solar system uh, over the, the, the millenniums uh, that may have left bases or debris or something behind artifacts makes complete sense. Uh, and the two places where we would most likely find them would be the Mars and the Moon. And, and uh, not surprisingly, guess what? You have millions of photos that have been taken of the Mars and the Moon since 1969, all right? And they are archived, uh, and as part of the, the process, more and more people are going into those archives and they're pulling these photos and they're looking at them with mic, mic, uh, the magnifying glasses. And uh, not surprisingly, you know what they're finding? They're finding lots of very interesting places in these photos that have been blurred out and pixelated mm. 
But then they're finding stuff in these photos that looks pretty damn interesting. Uh, NASA, we have one witness that testifies to NASA doctoring photos in order to take UFOs out of them. That she testified in 2001, and I'm sure she'd be happy to testify on Capitol Hill when the time. Um, but when you got that many photos, it's you're gonna miss stuff, even if you can check them all out. That's right. And so, and this is the age of the internet where anybody can look at these photos, and 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 every time they find something, it immediately goes up on the net on YouTube. And so slowly but surely, these photos are starting to generate what's starting to appear like residual stuff. Uh, the, the really obvious stuff probably has been either uh, withheld completely or, or blurred out or what have you. And so there's a game being played. It's like, a, it's like an egg hunt of being played with the, the vast array of NASA and JPL photos, which is just one more reason why this whole silly truth embargo is ridiculous now. It's just stupid. Stephen, in the same sense that the ETs, and I agree with you, first started to really show up once we got the atomic, once we broke the atom, and we, we had the power to virtually annihilate the world and destroy the world. Do you think they see our potential for deep space travel as the same type of threat? It would be insane to allow us to take our weapons in space. I mean, deep space. Right. Uh, so, not, not surprisingly, they have showed up at a point in which we have built nuclear weapons that we haven't developed star travel, but we're close. Let me tell you, if you look at our own physics, we're not that far from probably solving the relativistic speed barrier. Uh, 100 years, I think we have. So you've you got a civilization down there that you care about that, that is valued, um, and it's threatening to destroy itself, and it's about to get star travel. That is when you start to engage them at a whole new level even to the point of open contact, which I think is coming as well. Yeah, it's kind of red flag material, isn't it? I mean, when we think of the same type of situation with ISIS right there, you know, they're destroying civilizations right around the world. If we draw the analogy that human beings could be like foreseen as ISIS, as ISIS a big red flag would go up and say, hey, listen, we got these crazy guys over here with, you know, little kids with matches. They could burn down the whole joint. Well, some of our best and brightest have been burning things down, but uh, the, the simple truth is, is that if they do not want us to go interstellar, we will not go interstellar. Or if we develop the ability to go interstellar uh, and attempt to bring those weapons out, if they can prevent that, uh, they're just too far ahead of us. Right? And so the idea that we'll sneak them out there, you know. That's not going to happen, and uh, they'd be insane if they did. So the, the simple, and that's one of the reasons I think they're turning them off. The message is, and this is what I think that most of the witnesses agree that have been involved in these events, is that the message is: first of all, they're they're useless to defend against us if you think we're a threat. We're going to help you with that. Two, they're only going to destroy you. Okay. Three, you're not going to bring those out here. And so they're nothing but a massive liability that you've spent trillions of dollars on. You're wasting your money and your time, and you're risking yourselves. So if you want to come out and hang out with us, you need to get past these. Now, could, they could have destroyed them. They could have brought crap down and destroyed all these missiles. Melted them down into a puddle of metal, right? But apparently that is outside the limits of their engagement. Oh. They have protocols. There's clearly there are defined limits to what they will do and not do, which is a very good thing, by the way. Because if they were 
anarchist or unbridled, then they could do anything they wanted, and they could do a lot of bad stuff. So these, this is a pretty powerful message that's in play. This is a bigger message as you can imagine in the world today, right? Your nuclear weapons are useless. You're not going to be able to bring them into space. There's the civilizations out there. Unfortunately, none of the media in this world, none of the governments in this world, none of the universities or colleges in this world are willing to address that massive subject. And so it remains the subject that whose name cannot be spoken. And that, of course, is we're not going nowhere. I mean, that's why we're just stuck here. Now, from the standpoint of the extraterrestrial, you know, whether we're stuck here for five years, 50 years, 100 years may not mean a damn thing to them. It means a lot to us. In fact, I believe from their point of view, if we destroy ourselves with a nuclear war, their attitude would be, well, you screwed up. We'll be back in a thousand years and we'll, we'll look at this again. You know, we lived long. You don't. Uh, we're at peace. You're not. So we have this opportunity uh, to take advantage of it. And by and large, if you look at the protocols and the, and the policies that are blocking this opportunity, they're not acceptable. I mean, I could imagine a rationale where they might be, but I don't see it. And so we're just, we're just wasting our time, wasting our resources, and killing each other to no good purpose at all. Right? Uh, you know, what territory are you going to require for your next invasion? Uh, a little more water rights, some extra oil? You know how much energy is out there that, that, that is available that, that has nothing to do with fossil fuels? You know how much, how big the galaxy is to explore? And so you're going to go to war over Kashmir? Okay, you're, you're going to create a, you know, you're going to behead people in order to grab a piece of Mosul? The reality of the extraterrestrial presence puts most of our activities in the crib with toddlers. And that's obviously not particularly constructive because the human race, while it has some really bad, bad uh, characters, is actually a pretty amazing race. Uh, extraordinary capabilities, great mental abilities, extraordinary talents, uh, tremendous technological uh, ability. Uh, our best are pretty good. And I think more than ready to, to be part of a galactic uh, arrangement. Remember, when, they, when, when, they, when, when open contact occurs, when we maybe become involved in a larger, you know, extraterrestrial or galactic reality, it will be the best of us that will be involved. The worst of us will continue, unfortunately, to 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 live, you know, pointless lives. And well, they won't be part of that. And hopefully, they'll, 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 we'll deal with that. We'll, we'll bring we'll bring more of the human race into the 21st century. But we we don't have to wait for the for the for the most deprived and the most depraved of us to get their act together before we deal with extraterrestrials. There's more than enough people on this planet capable of doing that, and that's who they will deal with. Let's do an extension on that. Disclosure comes tomorrow. President Obama comes out in the podium and he says, guess what? We have ET engagement. Mm -hmm. What happens the next day? How do you see it playing out? Here's how I think it'll go down. It'll happen on a Friday night uh, around... 8 o'clock, 8.30, maybe 9, after the uh, people have gotten home from work on the Calif in California and the major news cycle is over. Um, the, the media will not be notified until very close to the last minute. Later in the day, they'll be notified that the 
there's going to be an announcement at the White House, and they have to cover it. And they may, they may go, well, no, 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 we got to, that's a big night for our sitcoms. Because and, 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 they don't have to, you know, they're not legally required. And the, and the White House would basically say something like, you will cover this, and if you don't, there will be serious consequences. So, yeah, they'll show up at the camera. And President Obama will walk out in front of the camera. There'll be no leap on this in advance. This is, they're not going to submit a, you know, a, 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 an email in advance. Uh, and the president will make an announcement. Now, I happen to think that politically it would be perhaps an advantage if the president didn't actually utter the announcement himself, but rather delegated that. So I'm going to predict, but this you know, could go either way, that the president will not be the one that says we're not alone, but rather the president will say that this evening you're going to receive some extraordinarily important information. Mm. And you need to know two things about this. One, I have, I have fully authorized the release of this information to you. And two, uh, there is no reason for you to be alarmed. Right? And at that point, so this will take a minute, a minute and a half, and then at that point, they will cut to another press conference that's been set up that the press was called to uh, at another location, Academy of Sciences, National Science Foundation, NASA, pick a location. And in that press conference, there will be a panel set up ready to go. A lot of these people will have been contacted maybe that day or the day before and flew in uh, without knowing what the hell was going on and then told, uh, you know, late that day that this is what's happening and we want you to to make a few minutes of cogent remarks about it from your perspective, right? And you've got two hours to think about those remarks. Uh, and this panel could be 15, 20 people. We'll have individuals representing most of the institutions of the country, the military, the intelligence agencies, religious leaders, a couple of religious leaders, some academic leaders, uh, some business people of high respect, maybe technology. And what will happen first, though, as soon as the cameras go on, is that someone will step up to the podium. This person will be carefully selected to be popular, smart, and nonpartisan. And this is the person that will make the announcement to the world. Not just the American people, but to the world. They're not alone in the universe. See, the president's going to get the glory. and There's no way that's going to be avoided but it'll depoliticize it a little bit. It'll take it out of the realm of America is finally going to tell you the truth to there's some truth to be told, and here is someone who will tell you. The, the, the candidate that most comes to mind for that role is Michio Kaku. He's who I would pick. Right? He will make the announcement. Won't take long. Uh, we're not alone in the universe. We have extraterrestrial engagement. We've known about it for some time. We could not tell you until now because of national security reasons, but now we can. Then they'll go to the panel. Now the press will be, you know, Kressel's hair will be on fire, like those who have hair. But first they go to the panel, and each of these people will make a few minutes of remarks, all of which will be pretty much designed to say everything is fine and make a comment from their perspective, military, intelligence, business, religion, whatever. And then it will be opened up to questions, not a lot of questions, mm. right? A limited number of questions. 
the press, of course, will want to ask a billion questions. But basically, it's just enough so that some key questions could be answered and asked to give a proper sense of, of uh, transparency. And then basically, the, uh, the, 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 the Kaku or whoever it is will say, all right, look, this is just the beginning. The announcement is out. Believe me, there are going to be more press conferences, many, many. But we need uh, for you and the American people to now take a, a bit of time to digest this and think about what you want to ask and what you want to know. Now, it's possible that the banks will be closed uh, for the first few days of the following week. But we know this, it's going to be on a Friday night, so the, the, the American people will have all weekend. And the press will have all weekend to just go, you know, intense about it. Right? Um, and sort of calm down. And then on Monday, the post-disclosure world will really get underway. Of course, it starts the moment that announcement is made. And, and then a lot is going to happen. I mean, it, it's, you know, thousands of books will be written about what happens next. But ultimately, what will start happening on Monday morning is, as I've stated countless times, one of the great tug of wars of all of history will begin. All right? On one side of this tug of war will be the United States government and military intelligence complex. And on the other side will be the American people and the media, which will have immediately jumped sides. Right? Immediately, they're out of the truth embargo. They are on our side, and they are committed to learning everything they possibly can because they're not idiots. And there's a whole lot of uh, papers to be sold and ratings to be garnished and money to be made. And so the American people will finally have the uh, American media fully on their side. And so the tug of war is going to be simple. The government is going to want to tell as little as possible and take as much time as possible. And the people in the press are going to want as much as possible as soon as possible. And this will go on, right? Week after week after month throughout all the next 12 months, I think, for sure. Meanwhile, doc every documentary ever made will suddenly start appearing on cable every day. Books will be bought by the thousands. Millions of books will be bought. Uh, people will be rushing to learn everything they can. Uh, the researchers will be inundated with requests, and contactees will become the stars of the 21st century, in demand by every you know, talk show, uh, uh, invited to every party. They will have their day. They will come out of the closet in droves. And over the next year or two years, you what, what the world will go through is a massive learning curve where uh, the entire population gets brought up to speed to the degree that they succeed in that tug of war and learn as much as they can about the extraterrestrials uh, through the public domain uh, information and as much as they can through the private or the government held domain of information. And after two years, we're going to know a lot. And a lot is going to happen. Stephen, what, once that's been released to the public, I foresee folks like yourself, of course, will be inundated with requests. Much like 9-11, they'll bring experts on like yourself and Stan Friedman and many of the others, you know their names, mm -hmm. to reassure the public that everything is okay, that we've known about this for a long time. 
yeah, that's fine. I mean, I, I, I don't have a problem with that, though there are some researchers out there that don't think everything is okay, and they're not going to come and say that, but they may want us to help in that regard. I have no problem with that. Okay. The real question is, to what degree is the government going to acknowledge and invite the participation of all of these researchers and activists? Yeah. Or are they going to say, okay, you've done your job, now go away and let the, let the pros deal with this? The pros. Yeah. Now, there was a time when they might have gotten away with that, I think. And that's happened before. Not this time. The internet will ch change all that. Uh, the, the people that have worked in this field have a massive internet presence. And so if the government comes in and parks a couple of scientists up there that have not said a word about it in their entire career, and tries to convince the public that these are the experts and you need to listen to them, but don't listen to all those other people that have been trying to push us on this issue for 50 years. The public is going to go to the internet and say, you know, I think your two experts don't know Jack, and these are the guys that really know something, so if you're not working with them, I don't trust what you're doing. And so the government will smarten up on that pretty quickly and go, okay, look, we need a, we need a giant effort here, and I think all the researchers will have some extraordinary opportunities in the post-disclosure world. They'll learn. And then the question is, ultimately, this is the big one, this is really the ultimate issue, other than open contact, which I think comes about two years after disclosure. I was going to ask is, you that. To what extent will the post-disclosure world, which is a paradigm shift, unprecedented in size and scope, to what extent will that world be redesigned, reformed, and restructured to serve the citizens of the 200 countries on this planet? And to what extent will it be redesigned and reformed to serve the elite, just as they had been served in the past? Will we get the same old, same old? Will it be a post-disclosure world where the 99% are screwed, the elite are continuing to act poorly, and nothing really has changed? That is the big question that remains to be answered. I believe there's an excellent possibility that the world's people are going to exert their influence on unprecedented levels. But we can, there's no guarantee of that. And there's no guarantee what governments may do. But the Internet is going to make it extremely difficult for them to do much more than go along with uh, a great deal of the public's wishes. So one of the things that uh, we're really paying attention to as disclosure closes in is any efforts to block, contain the internet by anybody, any country anywhere, watching it very closely, and uh, we'll see. Stephen, we've only got a few minutes left, but I want to ask you this: Have you had any personal engagements? No. None at all. Okay. Just I know curious. plenty of people that have. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, so I got, I got plenty of firsthand information. I, I don't need to see it myself. I don't need to see any tea. Uh, and I'm kind of happy that it's that way because it makes it much easier for me to be uh, more objective uh, and kind of grounded on this. Do you think disclosure will make the militaries of the world obsolete? What will make them? What will make offensive military development obsolete? Will be will more likely be the uh, release of ET-derived technology and a paradigm shift in the energy. It's going to change our whole monetary system. The of fossil fuels and, and, and using ground-state energy, which, which probably, well, we don't know where exactly it comes from, it doesn't matter. 
that an energy paradigm shift is huge. I mean, something that would drop the price of energy 98%, uh, make it clean, would, it's just almost incalculable in terms of understanding the impact it would have. But ultimately, it would lead to a planet without want. In other words, you've got cheap energy, and it's non-polluting. Then you actually have no barrier to providing the basic needs for everybody on the planet. Food, water, clothing. Exactly. Now, throw in anti-gravitic propulsion, and you can really move things around pretty good. So, again, resources can be shipped. So, essentially, you, you can create a planet without want, finally, after all these thousands of years. You create a planet without want, and most of the terrorism will disappear pretty quickly. Yeah. And a great deal of the pressure that's on governments will decrease. Yeah, that free education is, and, you know, that's absolutely. That's eliminate yeah. aggressive armies. Uh, um, the ET disclosure certainly will change worldview and help that process. Open contact would probably close the deal. Uh, if we have open contact and the world becomes now fully convinced that the extraterrestrials do not have territorial or destructive intent and, and, and could wipe us out at any time they wanted to, then the need for these you know, defenses kind of goes away. Um, um, in, a, in a large measure. Now, there will always be those that will say, oh, we you never know when the Borg will show up. The Borg show up, we're screwed. Well, you know, based on the Borg, we've got nothing that could deal with them if they did show up. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that would protect us would be the power and capabilities of our new allies, hmm. which is how the world works, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. They, I see it as, as very freeing to humankind that we can finally become what we were meant to be instead of worrying about all these what I call puny little worries that we have from day to day they, this this part of the fan, this part of the territory is mine this part's yours and that we have to put a fence up we could actually get beyond that and really really excel at being human we are the animal product couple billion years of evolution that is fundamentally built around survival of species, which is built around predatory behavior, all right? Untold quadrillions of living things had to die for us to get where we are. Yeah. And in most cases, they're dying because other species or other enemies are killing them. Changing that evolution overnight is not going to be easy, but we have no choice. We've been at it for 10,000 years. We're still behind the curve, but that has to happen. Now, here's where optimism stems. Only things. got about 20 seconds. The ETs are here. They're functional. They're interstellar. So, obviously, they didn't blow themselves up. They're able to interact with each other. So, obviously, they have the ability to cooperate. If they can do it, then we can do it. Precisely. That's a good reason to do it. And that's a nice positive note to end it on. I want to thank Stephen Bassett for coming on the show. Folks, all the coordinates, all the URLs will be on www.nightfrightshow.com. I want to thank you all, and especially Stephen, for joining us tonight. I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. Thank you all. See you next time. Yes.
JFK Assassination, the definitive book by Brendan Holland. From inside the Oval Office to Davy Plaza, first-person witness accounts. Order yours right now. Nightfrightshow.com.